Amen. Isaiah chapter 6, we're in a series entitled Jesus Saves, talking about God's promises in Isaiah. And uh, I told our first service, I, I don't really want to give the message today, but I just a burning uh, to do that. And I want to talk to you about defining moments, defining moments. Have you ever seen or heard something that in a moment radically changed you? That could be good or bad. For instance, if you're a, a young parent and you're expecting there could be that one moment, hey, it's time to go. It's go time to get to the hospital. That was like for us with our youngest, Adley. It was like one moment we're waiting and waiting and waiting, and the next moment, oh my gosh, she's, she's, she's coming. You know, There can be good moments that change your life forever. Uh, there are moments that could be not so good, like you're driving and you come up on an accident and the memories of that you know, just impact you. Or that day that you, know, you went into work and it was going to be a normal day and your boss said, sorry, this is your last day. That moment can alter your destination. Just in one moment, it can define you. Or the day a doctor has given you a bad report. Or on a good moment, the day that you said, I do. You know, one moment you're one, two people, the next moment you're one people. You know, I do. And that one moment alters the destination. It defines you. Uh, when I went to college, uh, it's seeming it's like longer and longer ago when I give the story. But when I went to I didn't go to college expecting God to define or radically change my life. I went to college to get a degree uh, to make a bunch of money and to marry the girl I was dating at the time, which is my wife today, by the way, and, uh, and, and go on with my good American dream. But in college, God, I encountered God in a radical way, uh, had no plans for ministry, no talent for ministry, no ability to public speak at all. I had to take Pepto-Bismol just to get through speech class. I mean, no, no idea, no desire to do that. And as I saw God encounter in my life, I began to see in our ministry uh, students come in, and some of them, it would go one of two ways. They would hear these moments with God, these defining moments with God, and they would come to an altar or a small group, and it would radically change them, and they would alter their destiny. They would alter their destination. And then some would go off into ministry today, and some are Bible uh, Sunday school teachers or small group leaders in their local church today. And because of one moment, one encounter with God, one revelation from God, it altered their destination. But at the same time, I would see hundreds and hundreds of students come into our ministry Hear the word of God and walk out going back into the pleasures of life, back into friends, back into society, back into entertainment, back into parties. And the thing I want to share with you today is that when we fail to perceive God, we fail to receive him. When we fail to see what he's doing and perceive him, we fail to receive him. And today, as with any sermon, more so maybe today... What you're going to hear today, you will either be hardened by God's word or you will be softened by it. For every sermon you've ever heard, from every Bible story you've ever read, from every podcast you ever listened to, there are only two things that ever happen in those moments. You are either drawing nearer to God when you leave that moment or you have driven further from him. Every Sunday you come into a church, you will either leave that Sunday closer to God or farther away from him. You never leave the word of God the same way. You'll either be softened by it, or you will be hardened by it. You will never leave the same way. And I fear for the American church today, how many sermons, 
have been pumped into this country, how many podcasts, how many Christian books, how many TV shows, how many times have we heard the gospel message in this country? And has it drawn us nearer to God or has it drawn us hardened to the word of God? You can watch the news and be the judge. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said this, When nobody knew how to respond to him, he said, I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. And that's the prophecy we're going to look at today in Isaiah chapter six. And the question is this, are we missing defining moments with God in these last days? Are we missing defining moments with God? What is God saying to us? Because defining moments are going to determine your destination. Everyone has them. They come into everyone's life, and it will be good or bad. Let me give you the background of Isaiah chapter 6. If you're at Isaiah chapter 6, somebody say amen. amen. Okay. In Isaiah chapter 6, we are going, let's go back in time just for a little bit. We we're talking about two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. It was a nation that was split, sometimes mostly bad in the north, sometimes good in the south. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Isaiah is a prophet back in those days, all right, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. He's a prophet in those days. He works for the king. He's a moral upstanding guy, but he lives in a day where it is hypocrisy in the land. There's a king named Uzziah, and he has led the nation into great wealth and great prosperity. They've become one of the most powerful nations around them. Everyone thinks it's a great day to be a citizen in Judah. Man, we are booming. We've got the best economy. We've got the most biggest, baddest military. We're doing great. But in the back corners, where everyone just didn't talk about, up on the mountains, people were sacrificing to idols. People were getting divorced. People were oppressing the poor. The rich were taking bribes. The, the corruption was in the courts at the highest levels. But on the one side, we we're going to play like everything's great. And when man saw this great nation, God saw just idolatry. And King Uzziah had gotten so good and everybody loved him so much that one day his pride got the best of him. And he decided that he would go into the temple of God and go to the altar of incense, what only the high priest could do, and burn incense on the altar. And the priest tried to stop him just before he got in the doors. A light shone, struck him with leprosy, and they had to put him in a house. Because you don't test the Lord God, right? You don't go against God. So his pride was his downfall. For 11 years, he was in a back room, and he was running behind the scenes in the country as his son was the puppet leader. And then one day, 11 years later, he died. And people, man, there was this fear, this depression, this anxiety that came across the country, and they were wondering, who's going to lead us? Who's going to sit on the throne after this? Man, the economy might collapse. Man, our military might fall apart. Who's going to keep it running like it's always been running? And Isaiah had a defining moment with God. Let's look at it. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. The first defining moment Isaiah had was he saw God as holy. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord seated on a, what does it say? Throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple seraphim stood above him each having six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet with two he flew and one called out to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts 
which means the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is full of his, what? His glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Wow. Wouldn't that be something to see? Isaiah is living in a day where everybody is busy with their own business. He is living in a day when everybody is pursuing their own pleasure. They're not worried about God's business, and God is definitely not on their list of things to do that is pleasurable. That's something, that's the religious stuff. Let's go find our own self. And and in fact, we really want God to, if God's really real, let him prove himself. That's the day he lives in. And in that day when everyone in their own nation and the whole world was thinking, man, it's crumbling all around us. Who's going to sit on a throne? And Isaiah said, and I saw the Lord. Where was he? Seated on a throne. When everyone in man's kingdom is worried, what about our economy? What about our military? What's going to happen in the future? Isaiah says, I saw the guy that's in charge. I saw a revelation of God that he is holy. He is powerful. He is on the throne. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. I see a holy king with all power and dominion. And while you can fear all the things trembling in the world, I saw the one whose very presence makes all of heaven tremble. I saw the one who is in command of the legions of heaven. And then he said, I see these seraphim. These seraphim are like the upper class of angels, like six wings. And they're the beings that have created. They are intimately created, purposely created to be in the nearest place to God. They are sinless. And here you have these sinless, pure, perfect beings, not even able to look upon the radiance of God's glory. And all they can cry out is holy, holy, holy. And when you say three times holy in the Bible, it's very rare that it says it. It is the ultimate definition of who God is. It means that he is otherly. He is not like anything on this earth or any created thing. He is only like him. You can't describe God other than holy, holy, holy. It means he is infinitely just, infinitely pure, infinitely moral. He is always right every time. He is always loving. He is the definition of love. He is a definition of justice. He is a definition of moral rightness. He is otherly. That's what holy means. And Isaiah, in this moment, when man had redefined sin and redefined what God's kingdom should look like and what nation should look like and what we should do. And this was a good king. He says, I saw the king. You see, the defining moment that we all have to have first in our life, so many people want to see God lovingly, but not holy. You see, you have to see God holy before you see him loving and gracious and merciful because holiness defines everything about God. God is not just love. He is holy. Therefore, he is love. Does that make sense? He's holy first. And Isaiah saw God rightly. When's the last time God's otherliness captivated you? You see, a defining moment every single person in this room listening to this message needs to have is we need to have an encounter with God where we see him rightly. 
that he is holy, he is just, he is... Maybe today you're shaken up by the things of this world. Maybe today it does, you don't know what's going to happen in this economy. You don't know what's going to happen in our, our nation or this world. That's when we get on our knees and we find a revelation with God that says, God, you are in control. Somebody say amen. You are in control. You are other-like. You are not like this world. You are perfect, pure, just. You are seated on the throne of eternity. Amen? First defining moment is... See God holy. Number two is this. Look in verse five. He says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah thought himself a pretty good guy. Man, he, he works for the king. He doesn't do all this other junk. He's got a wife. He doesn't cheat on her. I mean, he, he votes the right way. He pays the right things. He gives to charity. Come on, he goes to church every Sunday. Just put it in our terms, right? He's a good, upstanding guy. In fact, he even prophesies when God's spirit comes upon him. And in that moment when he saw God and he said, whoa, my eyes have seen the king. You know what his response was? Ooh, man, praise the Lord, hallelujah, jump, 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 let's just jump some pews and flop around on the ground. Let's, let's have a Holy Ghost roll around service. You know what he said? He said, woe is me, for I am what? Undone or unclean. He says, woe is me. To say woe for a prophet was a pronouncement of judgment or damnation. He said, I am accursed. I am undone. Why? He says, I had thought for years I might be better than some of these people. You know, you may think you're better than the people riding in the streets. You may think you're better than people that vote a certain way or don't vote a certain way. You may think you're better than homosexuals. You may think you're better than religious people. You may think you're better than your own family. But when he says, I saw myself in light of a holy God, I was a man around of unclean people. But then I realized, woe is me. Though I'm a man of unclean people, I'm also a man who is unclean. You see, when you see God rightly, you begin to see yourself rightly. Not self-righteously, self-rightly. You begin to see yourself in the right perspective. And I think the defining moment we need to have in our life is when is the last time you encountered God in such a way that not only did you see God rightly, you saw yourself humbly. When's the last time you were on your face undone before God? When's the last time you wept over your sin? Well, Pastor Heath, I'm a pretty good person. Not before God, you're not. We like to compare ourselves to people. Look at that tax collector. At least, God, I'm not like that guy over there. Right? At least I'm not like my in-laws. Right? At least I'm not like those people. I'm not like those people on the news. I've kind of got my life together. I'm a good church-going moral guy. But before a holy God, there is not one righteous. Isaiah later says that our righteousness as his filthy rags, his filthy garments, we are all undone before a holy God. And if we are to see any and move from this moment any better than we've ever began, if we're to have a defining moments that alter our destination, you've got to see God holy. And number two, you've got to see yourself humbly. I thank God for moments where he has just knocked me down on my face, snotting on the floor to see myself undone. It makes me a less critical person, less judgmental person. I remember sitting at a, at a, a table across from a, a middle-aged black gay man pouring his heart out to me when years ago I probably would have never even had that conversation. But you just get your life right. 
if you just read the Bible, if you just do this. But as I begin to see myself as like, I am no better than this man. And you learn about their life story and how they were abused. and They had no dad or no mom. And they were mentally and verbally abused over and over again in their life. And they went to drugs, to drugs, to drugs. You might have a little compassion on why they are the way they are. Begin to get broken over my own sin. You see God holy. You see yourself humbly. When's the last time? Defining moment number three is this. Look in verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Isaiah sees God holy. He sees himself humbly, and then he sees God lovingly. He sees God restoring him by grace. You see, he began to repent of his sin. And the very thing he began to repent about, my man, man, even though I think I'm talking good, I realize my lips are so so far from being good. And God takes a coal, an angel takes a coal, takes it from the brazen altar, the burning altar. That is the altar that you would say the sacrifice of the lamb was made on symbolically. That's the place of sacrifice. That would be the cross of Jesus Christ, where the lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. And Isaiah sees this at the place of sacrifice. They take one of the coals of this altar and it's flaming with fire, symbolic of the Holy Spirit refining inside of person. And they touch him with it. And in that moment, Isaiah experiences the grace of God. He is justified, declared legally innocent before heaven's court. He says, before you came in here, woe, damned to hell, but now you've been set free. There is no longer any sin in you. You can now stand here before this holy king, righteous, pure, morally right, and God will see you over, covered by the blood of his son, purified by the refining fire of the Holy Spirit. He saw God's searing presence change him. Before you're ever taken over by God, we've got to get humble. And as we get humble, man, Isaiah sees, man, I see the grace of God in my life. When's the last time God's presence actually touched you? I'm not just talking about just I feel some goosebumps when I come into a service and, man, the team was really right on. Ooh, great God. You know, that was a great service, Pastor Heath. No, no, I'm not talking about all that placating. When's the last time God actually touched you and you felt a searing presence of the Holy Spirit come over you? You got amazed by amazing grace again. Man, Isaiah got wowed by how God's grace, man, I am undone. But then God's mercy was given to me without even asking. I didn't seek. I couldn't earn it. But yet he said, I'm sending you salvation. I'm sending you mercy. And Isaiah was overwhelmed by the goodness of the grace of God. When's the last time you had a moment that cleaned you up, that renewed you, that got you excited about being justified by his blood. When's the last time you saw God holy? When's the last time you saw yourself humbly? When's the last time you saw God lovingly? And lastly is this. The next defining moment Isaiah had in verse 8. It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Note he says, us. God's so big, he's plural, right? Then I said, here am I, send me. You note in that moment, Isaiah had not heard God speak. 
Think about this. Isaiah had only heard himself speak. When he saw God, he was compelled to bow on his knees and declare, Woe is me, I'm a sinner. And then the only thing he heard speak from heaven until that point was the declaration of the angels that God is holy, holy, holy. But then what does God say when God speaks? Who will go for us? You see, God in that moment, he could have been like, you know what, Isaiah? I'm just going to send these armies of heavenly hosts. We're done with this nation. We're just going to wipe it out. I'm tired of all these sinners. I'm tired of all these people. He was morally just and right and justified to do that. He could have said, Isaiah, it's over. Let's just end the world now. I'm bringing judgment on the face of the earth. He didn't say that. God, who is righteous, who people curse him every day in the streets, who politicians make laws against him, who declare that by science he's not even there. They they mock him and slander him in the courts. They say there is no God in the schools. And God says, but who will go for us? What happened in that moment? God began to share his heart with Isaiah. He began to take a piece of his heart and say, Isaiah, my plea is that none should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. Could I judge them? Yes. Could I condemn them? Yes. I'd be, I would be justified to do that. But my heart is, who will go for us? Now, Isaiah was so compelled because he had saw himself humbly God holy, God lovingly, he saw the radical change in his life. He saw that what God had done to a poor sinner such as him, the only proper response that Isaiah could have, he was compelled to do it. When he heard God in heaven who was morally just and right and justified to kill a wicked world, and God instead said, who will go for us? I want people to be saved. Isaiah was compelled, and all he could say was, God, use me. Use me. Here am I. I don't know what to say, God. I don't have it all together. But God, if you can use anything, use me. I will go. You see, worship is not all about you. It's about him. And service is the proper response to salvation. For so long in the American church, we have bless me mentality. Come and give me a word, Pastor. Come and pray of prosperity for me, Pastor. Worship team, sing my songs, Pastor. Come to a church that's comfortable, Pastor. Be all about me and what best kids program we can have, Pastor. But in fact, when you see that you are deserving of hell and eternity separated from God, and God was justified to condemn you to a life separated from Him for all eternity, but by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not a gift of yourself or your own works, but of God. And then God says, now, who will go? The only proper response is, here am I, send me. Not come sit on a pew for 50 years. Not come be all about me and my personality and what I like in church. Not vote the right way or be the moral upstanding person or do the right things and work your way into heaven. But no, I am undone. But I am saved by grace. And God begins to share his heart with you. He says, see what I've done in your life? I, deserve, I, I desire to do that in other people's life too. And my heart is who will go? Who will go for us? You see, he didn't ask Isaiah directly. Isaiah, will you go for me? 
I think in these last days, God is looking across the church and he's saying, who will go? And we have these moments of defining, uh, defining moments that determine our destination. And you will either hear the voice of God and be softened by it, or you will hear the word of God and turn your heart against it. And you have a choice every single time we meet in this American church to hear what God is saying to the churches and open our hearts and say, God, I see you holy. God, I want to see myself humbly. God, I want to see your loving uh, kindness, your mercy, your grace. And Lord, I want to see your heart and realize, Lord, it's not all about me. When's the last time God shared a piece of his heart with you? I remember praying for a friend of mine, lost, fallen into sin. And I remember just, I was in my in a, in a college campus. I was uh, in our little duplex that we had, written an apartment. I remember getting up in the morning praying before school and just overcome, man. God had put this young man on my heart so strong, like, Heath, you're his last shot. You're his last shot. You're his last shot. And I remember... I just, I just remember falling on my face, not even able to breathe, weeping, sobbing, snot running down my nose. And I, in that moment, I don't know how to explain it, but I knew I wasn't crying. I was not crying. I, I don't even know why I was crying. And God just said, this is my heart for him. That young man would go on to commit suicide a few years later. God is... Man... Beth and I watched a show just the other day about a... some other documentary on something, and the parents had lost a child, and... They're like, you know, we, we meditated and we did all this and now we have this little, you know, statue for him on the mountain in California and we go there and we know that he's with us and I'm thinking, God, they don't know. They don't, man, people are dying and going to hell and God is like, who will go? And there has been churches after churches planted and built and filled and programmed and the best songs and the best lighting. And all of it is ruin because our hearts in America have grown cold to the things of God. If there is a nation capable of revival today with the money and the power and the education and the best pastors and the best preaching in the world, if there should be a nation in revival after a 12-week pandemic when God has shut down the church and shut down the world and said, wake up! If we don't have revival now, it won't come. You see, there are those who fail to receive because they fail to perceive what God is saying. There are, we are in a defining moment right now that is about to determine the destination of the American church. And we can keep on hearing the word of God and be hardened, or we can be softened. We can get on our knees and cry out to see God as holy, to get over ourselves and humble ourselves and see ourselves as humbly, 
We can get on our knees and be amazed again and see God lovingly and lay there until God shares his heart with us and we can see ourselves responding. Isaiah says, well, God, what do you want me to say to them? And God says, I want you to keep preaching this message. And he says, you're going to keep on preaching it until their eyes grow dim and their ears grow dumb until no one wants to hear it anymore. He says, I'm going to be justified when I bring judgment on this nation. I want you to preach in every place you can until no one wants to hear it anymore, until everyone who wants to hear it has heard it and responded, and everyone else has grown deaf to it. It'll be like a burnt-over field, Isaiah. It'll be as if total destruction will come on your nation, total chaos, total division, Total fear, total anxiety, it will cripple your entire country. It'll be as if I burn over the field, but yet there's going to be a stump. There's going to be a shoot. There's going to be a new holy seed. It's going to be those who are following Jesus Christ. He's prophesying of the last day's church. It'll be a shoot of Jesse. That'll be the line of David. It'll be those who are Christ followers in that last day. And there'll be a holy remnant still in the land. See, there's always going to be somebody responding to the gospel. But when God brings judgment, it's going to be because he's justified. You see, you can get up to heaven, you can say, well, but, but God, I never knew. And he said, yeah, but what about those signs? What about those songs on the radio? What about the podcasts you read? What about the books that were told? What about the pastors? What about that there is a hundred churches in every town in central Louisiana? I have told and told and told. I firmly believe what you see on the news and around us today is God's judgment on America. Because we've grown hard to the Word of God. There are two types of people in this story and today. Those who will be defined by God's Word and those who will be deaf to it. Who are you? If this bothers you today, then good news. You have a soft heart. God's drawing you near. If you just want to get out of here and go to lunch, continue to be hard to it. I'm praying for defining moments in my life and in this church. I'm praying that we would see God holy, that we see ourselves humbly, that we'd see God lovingly, and then we'd see ourselves responding. Maybe you've had those moments in your life before. I think we need to have them again and again and again. I don't think you just see God one time holy. I want to see God holy over. I want God to just radically come down and encounter him to see him holy again. I want God to radically come down and break me over my sin again and again. I want to have God come down again and just be amazed at the amazing grace of God. And every time I come to God, I want him to share his heart with me. Who will go? And I want to respond, here am I, send me. Would you bow your heads, worship team, would you come? Who are you? Who are you in this story? How will you respond today in every sermon from here on out that you hear? You see, you're judged by the word today. You can't escape it. You know there's no excuse. From this moment on, every word you hear from a pulpit, from a podcast, from a Christian book, you will be judged by it. 
You will either respond by drawing closer to God or your heart will grow colder to it. So, Father, today, search our hearts, O God. Create in us a clean heart, Lord Jesus. Purify us. Sustain us with a steadfast spirit. We know that, Lord, your sacrifice from us today, that what you're looking for us is that broken and contrite heart that you welcome, like Isaiah who recognized his sin in light of a holy God. But we are all undone. There is no one here better than anybody else. None of our works alone stand for anything, God. It is all to Jesus. All to you be the glory, O God. Father, I pray in this room, if there is someone who does not know you, Lord, today, if they were to die before they got home or even this week, Lord, if you were to call their day, their time, where would they spend in eternity? Sir, ma'am, young man, young woman, do you have a right relationship with God? He loves you. He is for you. He wants to save you. He wants to use you and cleanse you. He has something great in store for you. He has sent His Son, the very precious royal Son of Heaven, to die for your sins, that you might have life. Doesn't that say how much God loves you? How will you respond today? How will you give your all to Him today? How will you worship Him today? How will you freely give Him all that you are today? It comes with a simple statement just to say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of it. I turn away from it and I turn to you. Lord, I'm tired of my way of living and thinking and doing and feeling. And Lord, I turn to your way of thinking, living and doing. I turn to you. I trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That Jesus Christ was a son of God. That he came, he died, he rose again. He's coming back. You pray that prayer in this next moment. You believe that with all of your heart. And you ask for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit just from your own words. It doesn't have to be words that a pastor prays or a special prayer. Just your heart identification. Just your own words to say, God, save me. It can be just that simple. As long as you mean it with your heart. In the next moment, I'm going to invite you to come and find a place to pray. Our elders are going to come pray with you if that's you. Or what about you, sir or ma'am? Will you pray for defining moments? Will you pray for an encounter with God to change the destination of your life and those around you? Will you pray for a revelation of God? For an encounter from His altar, an encounter with His Holy Spirit that will wake up this last day's church. Will you be a part of that? That decision is right now. We can go on playing church for another decade. Or we can say, God, here I am. Send me. We can go on creating our programs and having good services and hearing good messages. Or we can say, God, here am I. Send me.